Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Rob Caesar's ghost. See, that's what Perry White used to say in the episodes of Superman that I grew up on. Great Caesar's ghost, he used to say. As we've heard, Today's portion, Vayachi, and he lived, refers to Jacob, who lived in Egypt for 17 years. He came in at the age of 130. He died at the age of 147. The death of Yaakov, uh, there was great mourning in all Egypt. Even the rulers of Egypt mourned for him. Uh, He asked before he died that he not be buried in Egypt, but rather in the same grave as his father and grandfather, Avraham and Yitzchak. Uh, There was actually a great funeral procession that went up from Egypt, including the leaders of Egypt, when he went up to be buried. So Yaakov died. And Yosef lived to a ripe age, and at the end of Yosef's life, we read, the very end of Genesis, Yosef said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely remember and bring you up out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Then Yosef took an oath from the sons of Israel. God will surely uh, remember you, and you are to carry my bones up from here. So then in the next book of the Bible, Exodus 13, we find that Moshe fulfilled Yosef's prophetic word, and he, quote, took the bones of Yosef with him. And it was Yehoshua, Moshe's replacement, who completed the fulfillment and brought the bones into the promised land. And then in Yehoshua 24, verse 32, he tells us, the bones of Yosef, which the people of Israel laid, excuse me, had brought up from Egypt, they buried in Shechem, in the parcel of ground which Yaakov had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and they became a possession of the descendants of Yosef. Joseph's tomb is today in an Arab village known as Nablus, which was the ancient Shechem. And uh, there's one more place where the bones of Yosef are mentioned in Scripture. 
the faith chapter. How many people know which chapter is the faith chapter? Would you, anybody want to guess? Yeah, Hebrews, yeah. Chapter 11. Everybody calls it the faith chapter, right? Because it talks about the faith of the ancients, the, the, our patriarchs and all of those faithful men and women of old. But I'm going to be using the complete Jewish Bible when I quote, uh, which provides a, a different word, a better word in my opinion, instead of the word faith, and the, the verses from Hebrews 11, by trusting, by trusting Joseph, near the end of his life, remembered about the exodus of the people of Israel and gave instructions about what to do with his bones. Joseph's faith was based on a word given to his great-grandfather, Avraham, in Genesis chapter 15. Adonai said to Avraham, that's before his name was changed to Avraham, Know this for certain, your descendants will be foreigners in a land that is not theirs. They will be slaves and held in oppression there 400 years. But I will also judge that nation, the one that makes them slaves. Afterwards, they will leave with many possessions. So Yosef's faith was in the day when God would fulfill that word. And so you might ask, why was it so important to Yaakov that he be buried in the tomb of his father and grandfather? And why was it so important to Yosef that his bones be taken out of Egypt 400 years after he had been brought in? I'm glad you asked, because if you hadn't, I would have to end the message right here. Thank you for asking. After all, the burial of bodies and bones has, has been the practice over many millennia, doesn't seem to have any scriptural significance. Many, many Jews certainly died in Egypt. But only Yosef's bones were brought out with Moshe. We recognize the greatness of Yosef. His life, his faith, his reunion with his family, the blessing of his sons that we heard about. He was the head of one of the 12 tribes that came from Yaakov, later called Yisrael. But we don't see the bones of Reuven, or Naphtali, or Shimon, or Levi, or any of Yosef's brothers being carried out of Egypt. But Yosef had a special place in the family of Israel. He had been the victim, but Hashem made him the redeemer, saving his family from famine. He was a hero to his Jewish brothers and their families. And he was second in command in Egypt. So he was greatly respected by all. He knew the prophecy about the 400 years, and he knew that the people would become slaves. What could he do that would instill hope 
to the generations of Jews who would be born and who would die in Egypt, and especially to the generation that would be set free and come back to the promised land. So Yosef used his position of respect and influence to demand an oath from his brothers and their families to take his bones out when they leave. The importance of the bones was not that bones are required for any other spiritual purpose, rather that they represented an attachment to the promise of Hashem. In the faith chapter, <clears throat> or the trusting chapter, as I will probably begin calling it, the word that is often translated as faith is the Greek word pistis. I prefer Dr. David Stern's uh, a blessed memory use of the word trusting, because faith sounds like something that you own. Like, I have this faith here. It's in my pocket. I can take it out and show it to you. Um, but trusting sounds like something that you do. You can only show it to others by doing it. Yosef demonstrated that he was trusting the word that Hashem spoke to Avraham when he made them swear to take his bones out with them. So the all-stars of faith, <clears throat> or the all-stars of trusting, are in this chapter, this chapter, Hebrews 11. And I'll mention a few. The very first one, the very first line that talks about trusting in Hebrews 11, talks about us trusting. He says, we understand by trusting that the universe was created through a spoken word of Hashem. This establishes our world view. Everyone has a world view. Some people's world view has have holes and gaps that prevent them from understanding the reality of what's going on in the world around them. But the world view that scripture pretty much of, of scripture pretty much starts here. The universe was created through a spoken word of Hashem, the word, the word of Genesis 1-1, the word. And I'm going to come back to this. So let me run through some of these all-stars of trusting. Hevel, or Abel, offered a greater sacrifice than Cain, his brother Cain. Hanok, Enoch, was taken from his, this life without seeing death. Noach built an ark to save his household by trusting. Abraham went out to a place that Hashem would give him as a possession. He lived as a temporary resident in the promised land as if it were not his. Meaning he had a claim to it that God had given him, but he lived there as if he didn't have a claim, and when he needed land, he had to purchase it. Abraham received a potency to father a child, though he and Sarah were past the age. All these people trusted until they died, we read, acknowledging that they were aliens and temporary residents of the earth. 
Avraham offered up Yitzhak as a sacrifice. Yitzhak, in his blessing over Yaakov and Esav, referred to events yet to come. By Yitzhak. Joseph, near the end of his life, remembered the Exodus and gave instructions for his bones. Moshe's parents hid him for three months and were not afraid of the king's decree by trusting. Moshe, as an adult, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moshe regarded abuse suffered on behalf of Messiah as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Yes, Moshe believed in the Messiah. Maybe, excuse me, Moshe left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. Moshe obeyed the ordinances of Pesach by trusting. The Israelites walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The walls of Yericho, Jericho fell down. Rachav, the prostitute, welcomed the spies by trusting. Gidon, Barak, Shimshon, Yiftach, David, Shmuel, and the prophets conquered kingdoms, worked righteousness, received what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, had weakness turned into strength, grew mighty in battle, routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, resurrected. People were stretched <clears throat> on the rack and beaten to death, to be ran refusing to be rescued in order to obtain a better resurrection. How many resurrections are there? Well, there must be at least two, because if there's a better one, it means there's a good one. Good, better, best, right? Okay. There's at least two resurrections. Just by that verse, a better resurrection. Others were mocked, whipped, chained, and imprisoned. They were stoned, sawn in two, murdered by the sword. By trusting, they went about clothed in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. They wandered about in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Page four. I'm not Paul Harvey, but. Page four. Here we read an amazing statement. Does anybody know who Paul Harvey is? Was? Yeah, okay. Some people, all right, good. Glad that wasn't a lost reference. We read an amazing statement here. The world was not worthy of these, what I call all stars of trusting. If I compare myself, I am quite inferior. I've had it easy. I grew up in a suburb in Northern Virginia. Now that's not great, but it's not what these people dealt with, right? I went to a public high school. What? I never missed a meal by forcing to not eat. I have always had food to eat, clothes to wear a warm place to stay unless I camped out in the middle of winter, but that was my choice. I have not endured like these people have endured. When I was suffering the meager things that I have suffered, I often didn't persevere. I point this out because I am ashamed 
that what comes next applies to me. Because at the very end of this trusting chapter, we read, all of these had their merit attested because of their trusting. Nevertheless, they did not receive what had been promised because God had planned something better that would involve us. So that only with us would they be brought to the goal. The King, the New King James says it a little differently, and it's it maybe easier to understand. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So all of these all-stars who suffered in order to have a better resurrection are not complete apart from us. Who's he writing to? He's writing to those who are in Yeshua, those who are in Messiah. Somehow, we have a place in helping them to find perfection because we are essential to it. David Stern explains in his <clears throat> Jewish New Testament commentary concerning this verse, God's secret plan for history involving the perfecting of human beings from all times, places, cultures, Gentiles as well as Jews, is glorious beyond imagining. Only by trusting God can anyone enjoy its benefits. He comments on this secret plan in, Roman, uh, in his commentary on Romans 10. Romans 10.4 says, For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting. In his commentary, he says, the evidence that non-Messianic Jews have not submitted themselves to God's way of making people righteous, which itself shows that their zeal for God is not based on correct understanding, is that they have not grasped the central point of the Torah and acted on it. Had they seen that trust in God, as opposed to self-effort, legalism, mechanical obedience to rules, is the root to the righteousness which the Torah itself not only requires but offers, then they would see that the goal at which the Torah aims is acknowledging and trusting in the Messiah, who offers on the ground of this trusting the very righteousness they are seeking. They would see that the righteousness which the Torah offers is offered through him and only through him. They would also see that he offers it to everyone who trusts, to them and to Gentiles as well. He cites Romans 11. If you don't get really familiar with Romans 11, you're not going to be able to find your way around Messianic Judaism. 
Romans 11, 25 through 27 says, For brothers, I want you to understand this truth, which God formerly concealed, concealed truth, concealed truth is a mystery, but has now, he has now revealed so that you won't imagine you know more than you actually do. It is that stoniness, to a degree, has come upon Israel until the Gentile world enters in its fullness, and that it is in this way that all Israel will be saved. As the Tanakh says, and it's also in the Siddur, out of Zion will come the Redeemer. He will turn away ungodliness from Yaakov, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He says in two chapters later, he says, Now to God who can strengthen you according to my good news, in harmony with the revelation of the secret truth or mystery, which is the proclamation of Yeshua the Messiah, kept hidden in silence for ages and ages, but manifested now through prophetic writings in keeping with the command of God the Eternal, and communicated to all the Gentiles to promote in them trust-grounded obedience. He has made known to us, Ephesians says, his secret plan. He's made known to us his secret plan. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't suffer the way the all-stars suffered. But for whatever reason, he opened our eyes and revealed to us this secret plan and how it's going to work out, kept hidden for ages by God, the creator of everything. <clears throat> A mystery in scripture is something that has not yet been revealed. There are many mysteries that are only for a time, but are later revealed to bless all those whose eyes are opened. Yeshua used the phrase, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. So our prayer is that people will see and hear and understand. We trust that Yeshua is the central goal of the Torah and of the Tanakh. But don't you know that your trusting will be tested? I'm going to work through a few verses here. I'm going to try and do it fairly quickly because I have a hockey game to watch at 1220. Um, and for your sake as well. I'm sure you have things to do as well. First Peter 1 is an amazing chapter. Uh, starting in verse 3, I'm going to break it into bite-sized pieces. I'll have a few comments along the way, but this will be an important thing to share concerning trusting. Praise be to God, <clears throat> Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who in keeping with his great mercy has caused us through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that cannot decay, spoil, or fade kept safe for you in heaven. <clears throat> so in other words, 
you have to keep trusting. No, that's not what it says. He's not saying that you have to keep trusting. He's saying that this hope is preserved through something that already happened, the resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah. It already happened. Whether you believe it or not. Of course, trusting opens your eyes, gives you the confidence, gives you the grace, the empowerment to obey and to fulfill the obedience that's before us. This is a hope and an inheritance that is safe from telemarketers, scammers, hackers, thieves, government crooks, and unfaithful and greedy friends and relatives. I just named a few of the villains that might be in your life. <clears throat> Meanwhile, through trusting, you are being protected by God's power for a deliverance ready to be revealed in the last time. Rejoice in this, even though for a little while you may have to experience grief in various trials. Even gold is tested for genuineness by fire. The purpose of these trials is so that your trust's genuineness, which is far more valuable than perishable gold, will be judged worthy of praise, glory, and honor at the revealing of Yeshua the Messiah. I point out that the revealing or the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah is shown in the book of that title, that it is a gradual revealing that begins with his ministry on earth, but is gradually revealed throughout the centuries until he comes and is fully revealed, revealed when he takes his place on the throne of Israel and becomes the king of all Israel and ultimately of the world. Without having seen him, you love him. Without seeing him now, but trusting in him, you continue to be full of joy that is glorious beyond words. And you are receiving what your trust is aiming at, namely your deliverance. Through trusting, you receive your deliverance, the deliverance of your soul, your salvation. The prophets who prophesied about this gift of deliverance, uh, excuse me, page six, we're almost done, believe it or not. About the, this gift of deliverance that was meant for you, pondered, who did? The prophets pondered and inquired diligently about this gift of deliverance. They were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of the Messiah in them was referring in predicting the Messiah's sufferings and the glorious things to follow. It was revealed to them that their service when they spoke about these things was not for their own benefit, but for yours, ours. And these same things have now been proclaimed to you by those who communicated the good news to you through the Ruach Elohim, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Something better 
was prepared for you that they would not be brought to the goal without you. Therefore, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, what do you do? You look to see what it's there for. Okay. I did not create that saying, but my mentor, Dan Juster, did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Maybe he got it from someone, too. Therefore, get your minds ready for work. Keep yourselves under control. Fix your hopes fully on the gift you will receive when Yeshua, the Messiah, is revealed. People like Romans 8.28, it's not, it doesn't compare in my view to Romans 8.18. 8.28, all things work together for good, right? Romans 8.18, I don't think the sufferings we are going through now are even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. As still quoting, as people who obey God, do not let yourselves be shaped by the evil desires you used to have when you were still ignorant. On the contrary, following the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in your entire way of life. Since the Tanakh says, you are to be holy because I am holy. Even in chastisement, we see the love of Yeshua for us. I have been chastened for my greed, my selfish desires, the self-deception of believing that I somehow deserve any good thing, to have my own desires fulfilled. And after I was forgiven, I was purified. And I was tested, as are we all. Also, if you are addressing as father the one who judges impartially according to each person's actions, you should live out your temporary stay on earth in fear. You should be aware that the ransom paid to free you from the worthless way of life which your fathers passed on to you did not consist of anything perishable like silver or gold. On the contrary, it was the costly, bloody, sacrificial death of the Messiah. As of a lamb without defect or spot, God knew him before the founding of the universe, but revealed him in the Acharit Hayamim, the last days, for your sakes. Through him, you trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your trust and hope are in God. And now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love each other deeply with all your heart. You have been born again, not from some seed that will decay, but from one that cannot decay. Through the living word of God that lasts forever. For all humanity is like grass. 
All its glory is like a wildflower. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of Adonai lasts forever. And now the final verse of this chapter. Moreover, this word is the good news which has been proclaimed to you. My final quote of the day is from Deuteronomy 30. For this mitzvah, which I'm giving you today is not too hard for you. It is not beyond your reach. It isn't in the sky or in the heavens so that you need to ask who will go up to heaven for us and bring it to us and make us hear it so that we can obey it. Likewise, it isn't beyond the sea so that you need to ask who will cross the sea for us, bring it to us, and make us hear it so that we can obey it? On the contrary, the word is very close to you, in your mouth, even in your heart. Therefore, you can do it. Amen.